Hello, welcome to episode 89 of Creative Chit Chat. I'm Ryan McLeod and this week I'm joined by Laurie Anderson who um, for about the next 12 months is uh, going to be director of Creative Dundee. Yeah, and I felt that this is obviously the, the, the sort of the third in the, the three-week Creative Dundee extravaganza. Um, and as uh, Laurie's new to the position and sort of new to the city, I thought it'd be great to, to have her in and to, to chat through her journey. And I know uh, a lot of people have seen her about, um, maybe had the chance to chat to her, um, but people might not know her, her background, her, her story, her journey. And I thought it'd be really nice to, to sort of um, share that with everyone and and learn a bit more. Um, yeah, so I mean, Laurie does exactly that, and we go through how she sort of dropped into the financial sector and the sort of security and stability associated with that, and then um, yeah, that didn't quite go as smoothly as planned, uh, but uh, it was probably for the best. Ended up a bit of a change of career and. Um, there's a nice uh, statement and way that, that Laurie describes it. I think it's um, gamekeeper turned poacher. Um, yes, yeah, so she worked for um, National Lottery Heritage Fund, um, obviously as a funder, um, but then has since gone on to work for a, a number of organisations who have um, gone out to seek funding and support. Um and the, the sort of experience and knowledge has been invaluable. Um, yeah, so it's, it's sort of interesting the, the sort of transition of our journey. Um, and we sort of talk about why the Creative Dundee position is really important and, and what she um, wants to achieve in the role. And I feel maybe I was a little unfair at the sort of five weeks in when we recorded the conversation that I was putting her a little bit on the spot um, about what she wanted to do for the next 12 months. But um, yeah. That's sort of the nature of the podcast, isn't it? Um, yeah, so let's just head on into the episode. So this is episode number 89, and this is with Laurie Anderson. Yeah, I mean, the question about being on a journey is quite interesting because it sort of implies that there is some plan to it, that maybe there was a, a starting point that you sort of, sort of set out with some kind of route and then there is a sort of finishing point on a destination, and I'm probably not convinced that any of that, any of that is the case. Um, I guess, as far as I can remember, I've always really had an interest in culture and and felt creative. Um, I suppose even just from a really young age, um, having an interest in, I suppose, just history and culture and museums, and um, you know, my parents were supportive and took me to galleries and. Um, went to theatre and concerts and things like that. They weren't massively, I suppose, into culture, but certainly there was always, there were always cultural opportunities that they supported me in and, and exposed me to. Um, my father's into sport and that really was his area and um, I did pursue some of that when I was younger, but I think culture was always something that I had that, real interest in. And so when you say culture, mm. um, what do you, what what, is the, what does that mean to you? Um, I mean, I've, I suppose, history and heritage and um, theatre, music, dance has always been the area that I've been interested in and art, obviously. Um, so really in its most broadest sense. Um, 
possibly as maybe um, more of a an audience member or participant, ne not necessarily as maybe a practitioner, I would say. Um, I suppose I grew up in Edinburgh till we were, I was nine years old and you can't really help but feel quite in tune with culture being in that city. You know, the history, the architecture, the castle, the festival, it's all around you and you, you, you don't really get, you know, get away from that. Um, and I remember there being some quite, I suppose, I'm not sure if I would call them defining sort of cultural experiences, but um, things like the Terracotta Army came to the City Arts Centre in the 80s. And I remember getting taken to that and queuing up the road to Market Street and having never had that experience before where people queued en masse to have this cultural experience. Um, same actually going to see Princess Diana's wedding dress at the Holyrood Palace. There were queues halfway up the Royal Mile for that kind of experience. Um, and then we moved through to Glasgow when I was nine and that was the year that the Borough Collection opened. And it sort of reminds me slightly about, I, I guess, about the the opening of the V&E where the, this whole city is waiting for this moment. Um, when I was young at that point, but I remember it being this pivotal point for this the city that they were waiting for um you know this museum to open that this collection had been picked to to be in their city and everybody went and everybody raved about it and so there's always been kind of cultural moments things that have inspired me things that have um that I've had a, a real interest in but maybe not so much as a as I said as a practitioner um I mean, I did dance, I did music growing up. Um, I've always been a little bit creative in that I kind of did a little bit of painting and drawing and a bit of craft and things, but nothing really that I ever felt was something that I could pursue as a, a career particularly. Um, I don't really think that that was an option either when I was at school. It, doesn't, it didn't really feel like something that I was really exposed to as being a, a potential career opportunity um it was interesting I having just moved house recently I found in the depths of a, a box a printout um that I'd been given by the careers teacher the careers um officer that had come into the school and they'd done the assessments and determined what your future career was going to be and it was in that great big computer printout um paper that had the perforations and all, and all the holes uh, they used to print off and you're waiting for you know <laughs> yeah outcome and a little very traditional type of lawyer journalist um actually i think it said careers advisor as well ironically um but there was and i think maybe librarian was about the closest to any kind of hint of anything being sort of in that kind of realm um, but and I thought I think that's still even today there's still issues around creative careers being seen as viable like opportunities. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and it's yeah, it's, it's, I suppose it's not it's not an easy thing for for anyone to do is to decide uh, like to give anyone in their teens say okay this is what you should do for the rest mm -hmm. of your life. Yeah. And who knows what the world's going to be like in five, ten, fifteen, twenty no, years? Exactly. So. Exactly. I mean, I remember it being suggested that you should you should maybe think about working for the bank, the bank, whatever that meant. You get you'll get a really good mortgage deal. And I mean, imagine 
imagine basing like entire forty fifty career your career on what what kind of rate of interest you make on out. <laughs> I mean, maybe now on hindsight, it might have been a good move, and <laughs> given that it's difficult to get on the property ladder. But um, but it was never measured on. Okay, this is the most fulfilling job. This will give you a, a sort of a happy and enjoyable yeah. lifestyle where you can sort of enjoy the, the practice that you go to every single day and yeah. it was it's, it's financially driven right yeah it's, and sta- at stability as well isn't yeah. it really and this isn't really seen as that but no I mean even now we all fill in forms and you the drop down boxes of what your career is it's there's no representation on on what we do so there's there's still that challenge and definitely that challenge at school and um, I, I thought about law quite seriously um even did a, a week of work experience um, for a lawyer firm in Glasgow who were fantastic with me. They even took me to Berlini Prison to meet a prisoner on remand. Um, it was eye-opening. Um, and I kind of thought about it a bit longer after that and then just realised it just probably wasn't quite the right route. Grades probably weren't going to stack up. I wanted to do something a bit more general. Um, so I... I suppose followed a fairly academic route and I um, went to St Andrews, to university, um, where I, I applied to do English and got in and had a, had a year of doing that and um, along with other, other courses and ended up um, getting a degree in Scottish history. Um, which, of course, everybody said, oh, well, so I presume you're going to be a history teacher. <laughs> um, which I... I very much believe that you know teaching is a vocation and if it's not if it's not in you then probably best left alone so that wasn't really what I wanted to, to do or pursue um, I loved St Andrews I loved going from big city like Glasgow to um, a small place like St Andrews and having that really small student community and I mean no better place really to study history in a way um, when you're completely surrounded by monumental moments in history then than in St Andrews, so it was great. And that's where I first encountered Dundee. Um, I used to come over here occasionally and go to the shops and go to McManus and um, enjoyed the city and enjoyed being able to come up here and, um, yeah, have that break from from that that, that small-town student life. Um, and then after St Andrews, I, I guess I was a bit clueless, as a lot of people are when they come out, come out of... Uh, University, with a, a, I suppose, a fairly generic type of qualif- qualification or degree, if you're not wanting to pursue that particular area. Um, but at that point, I thought, no, I'm going to try something in the more heritage sector or something cultural related, and um, really put in as many applications as I possibly could to very little um, result, in all honesty, and had a, a miserable year of temping. Um, where I certainly found out lots of things that I didn't want to do from working for insurance companies and things like that. So, um, yeah, and then I, I finally managed to get a position working for the Edinburgh and Lothian's Tourist Board. And I thought, well, um, this is something that might be of some interest, my my knowledge of Scotland and, um, you know, I want... I, enjoy working with people and thought maybe having something customer focused would be quite interesting and this was before Visit Scotland was the big 
central organisation that it is. This is when it was regionalised tourist boards. Um, but it realised very quickly there that there weren't opportunities to develop. And staff had been there for years and years and there weren't opportunities there. And I was living with a flatmate who had who was working at a large Edinburgh-based financial institution and said, we're looking for people. If you give me your CV, you could probably get something within you know a couple of months and you'll probably earn a good £5,000 more than you are at the moment. And in my mind, <laughs> I thought, that's, that's an option. And I fell into that, as a lot of people do, I think. Um, Again, it's that it's the stability, it's the financial aspect of it. Yeah, and uh, slowly people from university were were getting either graduate jobs or or things that that felt that they had some kind of a prospect, and um, so I thought, well, I'll, I'll I'll give this a shot, and so I got got the position and was actually promoted very very quickly, and sat all my financial planning. Um, qualifications and found myself as a financial advisor within about nine months um, earning quite good money um, always feeling slightly like I was maybe a square peg in a round hole that it wasn't quite right but you kind of find yourself in a bit of, the, bit of a trap um, I then was lucky enough to be able to buy, buy a, a flat in Edinburgh and you're then sort of Slightly, slightly trapped. That's when the uh, the, the mortgage rate would have come in. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, I found myself um, in that in that business and not not really able to think of a way out. And then the decision was taken for me. Or my entire department was invited to a meeting at two o'clock the next day, and. We went to an empty meeting room, the boardroom of the organisation, and our, and there was nobody there. And we waited for 15 minutes by ourselves. And I remember saying to a colleague, if the head of personnel walks in, we're done for. And that was the first person then that opened the door. And it was one of those situations of, you'll have half an hour to decide if you'd like to be redeployed. Otherwise, you're all redundant and you'll need to clear your desk by five. And it was like the rug had just been pulled straight from underneath me. It was, it was shocking. It was. A re- I find it was a really shocking moment to be part of. Um, and it was interesting as well. The response from other people, from family and other friends that weren't involved, was. I mean, people were. It, it was funny. I think people in the back then, not that I'm hundred years old or anything, but. Um, I think you, you felt that you had jobs for for long term and there was security. And there was they felt there was a bit of a bit of shame attached to that. Almost like it was the worst thing that could possibly happen to you. Which now when I look back on it, I mean <laughs> it's it was actually the best thing that could possibly have happened. But then also I think now I mean we're seeing it everywhere. Mm, like redundancies absolutely. are like commonplace yeah. and nothing is secure from the like big financial institutions to high street shops to everyone is, is finding it difficult and mm-hmm. people getting made redundant is, is no big news really no, anymore. It's not, it's not. And, you know, nobody these days goes into job expecting to be there for 30 years, you know, and I'm not sure that that's healthy either. It's not, you know, 
I'm not sure that's something necessarily that I would really want for myself or think would be a good idea for many people. Um, so it gave me the chance to basically reevaluate, and I knew that I didn't want to find another job in another financial institution and that I wanted to go back to really something that was close to my heart. I mean, I'd always, in my free time, continue to go to galleries, continue to um, visit exhibitions and museums. Um, I was always engaged, I suppose, with the cultural sector, creative sector, but not um, obviously working in it at that point. Um, so, yeah, I reevaluated things and I then made a slight error in that I massively underestimated or undervalued my skills and my ability. And I applied for a job with the Heritage Lottery Fund and I went in at basically the most junior level you could. I somehow felt that I didn't have transferable skills, that I didn't, that I'd gone from one industry that had nothing to do with the other and that I needed to start from the bottom. And I really couldn't have been more wrong, to be, to be honest. Um, but I ended up staying working for the Heritage Lottery Fund for nine years, which was a lot, you know, a long time. And uh, I just, I, I really enjoyed, I really enjoyed that role. I enjoyed the, the breadth of it. Um, HLF, um, they changed their name now, haven't they, to the National Lottery Heritage Fund. But um, they deal with all aspects of heritage from, um, I suppose, building restoration projects to massive landscape projects to social history to um, landscape conservation and you know museums, gallery, all sorts of things. So there was such a diverse range of projects that you were able to get um, real insight into and be able to make a little bit of impact, a little bit of difference. And, you know, being a funder, I have to say, is it's not too bad, not too bad a place to be. People are always lovely to you. <laughs> um, yeah, people are always, always very kind and very nice. Um, and they, you know, they share information that you normally wouldn't get. You get to see in behind the scenes of lots of buildings and projects and get real insight. Um, and the time that I was there, particularly the early years, they had a lot of money. So they were able to um, have a lot of impact, but you know, I got to see some really quite exciting projects develop and be able to, I suppose, encourage them to either expand ideas or to involve communities that they maybe weren't proposing to, to take some risks. Um, so it was real, you know, it was a real privilege. You weren't actually running them yourself, but you were providing that support that um, people needed and... Obviously, it was it was a bit of a contrast from the, the financial institution where you were sort of encouraging people to give you their money and doing something maybe not so exciting with it to giving people money and and they were doing amazing things with it. And so. those things you can you can see in the in the real world and go and experience things. Yeah, right? absolutely. Um, yeah, so it was great. It was great to be on a journey with people and see them right through from you know just a, a little bit of an idea right through to being on site and, and seeing projects open and delivered. So it was a, it was a real privilege um, to be involved in that. Um, 
there weren't a huge amount of career opportunities, development opportunities, though, with the organisation because it's a UK-wide body. And some of the, I suppose, more senior, some of the more interesting roles are London-based. And so there were only a few roles, really, you could do. And I, I pretty much did everything apart from be the head of the, the organisation um, within the Scotland team. And even did it, took a transfer sideways in order to work in a development role, which um, I really enjoyed where the organisation were aware that there were areas that weren't accessing money, weren't applying for money and had designated them as cold spots. And, you know, I, I had a, um, a portfolio of cold spots and it was sort of here they are, off you go. Let's let's see if we can make things happen. And I really enjoyed that. Um, and the cold spots were, were some geographic local authority areas that weren't really engaging. Um, some areas of urban deprivation, some areas of rural isolation. And um, I worked for a while on the Young People's Programme as well, trying to involve young people in, in cult- cultural and heritage activity. And so it was interesting to then go to a region or an area that you didn't know an awful lot about and have to quickly work out you know, what was happening, where the gaps were, where the needs were, who were the right people to speak to, to partner up, what were the collaboration opportunities. Um, so it was it was good. I mean, I had some really interesting meetings and discussions and more than once found myself in, in a car with a reluctant uh, politician or senior member of uh, an organisation and them saying... Take, show, show me, show me where your money can go. We we can't see it. Um, I think for those people, if a funder is coming knocking at your door and that's your response, then you're never necessarily going to change their view. But um, for other people, you know, you you could you could really, I suppose, demonstrate and show them the benefits. And I really do believe that um, culture and creativity can really lead regeneration and. Um, really affect positively on people's lives and having had seen so much evidence of that with so many projects that you know it was good to be able to give those examples and and really champion that that cause and do you feel like so that that particular role i mean it sounds very in line from what i know of where your career progressed from from there do you think that sort of became the foundation for what you and you felt okay, this is the area that I want to work in. This is where I'm comfortable. This is where I'm happy. Yeah, I think it did. I mean, I've had one moment out, but yeah, generally, which is what's brought me back to Creative Dundee, is that external facing role is that you're almost a bit of a troubleshooter. You you work at a strategic level. You, you know, you make friends. You're able to identify opportunities and, and help to make those happen. Um, and I think that's a really rewarding role and it's something that I really enjoy and um you know have had some some success at so it's definitely something that drove me was being able to um work with people at all different levels with all different areas of interest um and and make things you know support people to make things happen yeah so where where did you move from from there what came next so from there I took a job with Museums Gallery Scotland, which is the national development body for the museum sector. A lot of people mix them up with the National Museum, the building in Chamber Street, but they're actually a 
um, a supportive body for the museum sector. And my role was relationships and partnerships manager. So again, a similar type of role of, you know, this is what the organisation does. This is the museum sector and what some of the challenges are there. Um, it was my job really to go out and provide support to them and to develop interesting partnerships and relationships that were going to benefit, I suppose, the museum sector in Scotland. Um, so from developing, I suppose, national training programmes to develop that sector um, to tourism projects, um, I was able to, to, I suppose, work with the museum sector on, on those kind of initiatives in a sort of similar role. It's also very useful having been working for a funder and understanding what funding funders are looking for, what their requirements are, how to write applications, how to meet those needs or how to, I suppose, find ways to express what you want to do in a way that meets what a funder is hoping to achieve. Um, I mean, that's been really invaluable um, information skill that, that I've had because you know, for, for, for all of us, really, sustainability is a massive issue and we all need to, we're always having to think, well, where's the next paycheck coming from? Where's, where's the next tranche of money and how long will that last for? And then what next? And you're always having to think ahead about that. Yeah, and you've almost, you've seen sort of both sides of, Absolutely. of that. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Um, so I enjoyed that organisation. One, one project I was able to work on was... Um, project that Creative Scotland were, were leading on with Glasgow Life and the National Galleries in um, Scotland called 25 Generation, 25 Years of Contemporary Art, which was celebrating a generation of, of contemporary artists in Scotland. And I deputised for our CEO on the steering group for that project. And I had been interested in contemporary art, um, started to develop my, my knowledge and... Um, found myself going more and more frequently to contemporary art shows and things. And it was a project that I really thought was, well, was just really interesting. And I was there to support museums, who a lot of, a lot of whom were commissioning artists for the first time and seeing how their collections could be used by contemporary artists, which was interesting. And McManus played a key role in that with some of their projects. Um, and then the opportunity came up at Collective which for me, if you could have written down a perfect job, that possibly was it. It was working on a historic building, a really iconic site. It's the old city observatory on Carlton Hill. So one of the most iconic locations in Edinburgh to restore a historic building. It was on the buildings at risk register. There was a real need. It was about the project was to um, secure the funding and then really lead the project through through its delivery and collective our fantastic contemporary art organisation. So it was almost as if somebody had written down all the little bits and pieces that I was interested in and had had experience of and put them together in one one job. Um, and I stayed with Collective for five years. The job was a nine-month role, um, which was the first time I'd applied for a job that was of a temporary nature. Um, but the organisation were keen that there was potential after the project had been taken to a certain point that there there was opportunities to stay on. And yeah, five years later, um, I was still still there. Um, so I suppose that really is where I then kind of 
stepped out of that more external role, a support being in a support role and actually working within um, a creative organisation within a venue um, and working on a major a major building project with lots of funders and lots of stakeholders. Um, a gamekeeper turned poacher was what I was often referred to as, <laughs> <laughs> having gone from being a funder to then being out there with the begging bowl. So, yeah, so it was a really crazy five years. Um, really enjoyable, incredible hard work. Um, but, yeah, pretty much loved every, every minute of it. <laughs> She says, not that convincingly. <laughs> <laughs> and the, I mean, the, the building's now open. Yeah, yeah. No, I was determined to see it through. Absolutely determined that I was going to stay there to the point of it, of it opening. Um, it was a very complex site. It was old buildings, conservation project, as well as building new new buildings. And uh, subterranean gallery space was excavated into the side of the, the hill that the observatory sits on to create a new gallery space. And then a new restaurant building as well. So a real combination of old and new, working with really interesting architects um, in a fantastic location. And Carlton Hill's like no other. I mean, I suppose it's a bit like, a bit like uh, the law in Dundee that people go up there and hang out and it's busy. And yeah, it just is, it's, it's quite an, an interesting place with an interesting history. Um, and yeah, it's just, I mean, a, a really challenging project, but massively rewarding. The first time, I suppose, that I'd really, I'd really done something very tangible that, you know, was very clear. This is what I'm here to deliver. Raise this amount of money, see this building built, ensure that you hang on to that vision throughout and and see it, see it through to opening. So what was the most, for you, like, what was the most important part of that project that you you made happen? Um, hanging on to the vision, I think. You know, y you have to be clear from an early point as to what you're doing and why. And that vision had already been determined when I joined the organisation and I was able to, I suppose, slightly mould it and then ensure that it was delivered. And you find yourself being encouraged to sort of sway from that or compromise from that um, throughout these projects when costs go up and there's, you know, time goes on and um, there are lots of voices and lots of stakeholders and lots of people trying to sway you from that. But um, knowing that, you know, knowing getting to know the organisation inside and out and knowing what the organisation needed, what artists needed, um and being able to hang on to that and see that delivered, um, I think really, because you know ultimately that it's that that organisation will suffer if they end up with a end product that is not right. Because mm -hmm. I mean, it's collective responsible for running. So all the things that you mentioned, um, the restaurant, the, the subterranean gallery, the so it's like a retail space within there and exhibition space and. So is that everything that was created as part of that is, is now sort of under um, collective, I feel like? Yeah, I mean, it's it's an interesting site. It's a walled complex with a number of different buildings and, and now two, three, well, three new buildings, actually. Um, 
And yes, the idea was that the organisation would be responsible for um, overseeing all of those those buildings and all the functions that were within it. Um, my role was to fundraise for the, the capital project and then, as I say, see it through delivery. And it became quite apparent to us um, in the early stages, really, of the build that the structure of the organisation in terms of how it was operating was going to have to change. Um, having this new site, having to generate income in a different way was going to need... Um, was it was going to need staffed and, and thought about and developed and so my role sort of morphed into that area as well of having responsibility for I suppose the income generation side um of the of the new the new site of the of new new collective um and that involved uh working with a catering partner and getting them on board and set up and then also um overseeing um with some fantastic staff that the sort of whole retail offer that we were going to deliver um and then found myself setting up a trading company for the organization which wasn't something that we had anticipated early on but um knew that we had to, had to do because when it comes down to you know sustainability is absolutely critical um and we we had an opportunity to really diversify income strands and make the most of where we were to support um, the programme of, of art that we wanted to, to keep delivering. So that was, a, if you like, that the, the delivery of the art was the core and then everything else leads to that sustainability of being able to deliver the the art content. Yeah, I mean, the main, the main core objective of the organisation is to be an art space, to work with artists, to support their practice, to collective all their work or, or new commissions for that, for that site. And um, they do some really interesting, quite risky, challenging work um, and support emerging artists as well and provide them with um, early early career opportunities and help to support and develop their practice. And that's the core of the organisation. And, you know, that that ultimately is, is what has to be delivered and has to be funded. And the other things can become a massive distraction to that, but they are critical to help to support and sustain that that core activity so i don't have a massive amount of experience with fundraising mm. um but we did i mean there was a, an element of that involved with the design festival this year so, yeah um and one of the things we found like really difficult was that is how do you how do you balance that relationship so that obviously someone has, has given you a sum of, of money um to help facilitate your your goal your vision your um whatever that that creative element is and how do you make sure that they get value for for what they're giving you do you mean more when it's an individual that's giving you money or even than... even as an organization it's sort of like what you see it often i mean like you see a poster that's been funded and there's a sort of call a logo party at mm -hmm, the bottom where mm -hmm. you've got okay so here are all the funders yeah um but really slapping a logo on the bottom of a poster mm -hmm. is that are you really showing true value for, for what the funder has done and facilitated for that event or um, whatever it might well be um, and it's something we, we sort of struggled with and didn't really come to any sort of conclusion on is like how do you actually create a valuable relationship that works both ways yeah mm -hmm. I, th I think you have to understand and have those early conversations with a funder about what they're looking for from that relationship some of them 
it's there in black and white. It's all over their website. They ask you to answer questions on what you'll deliver and really you try and keep to that so that the outcomes are what they're expecting and then there's really no issue. Um, and often that's it. They, they themselves may be established to distribute funds for education or for, you know, to support a city. You know, they might ha they'll have their own agenda and that'll be why they've given you money. Um, and for some of them, it could... I was surprised how many didn't want anything from, from us. It was, no, we've got money available. We want to support projects of this nature in this area. He, he, a cheque would arrive in the post and they would just want you to send a, a little update at the end. And that was that. Whereas others are much more demanding and they want a lot of information, a lot of detail. And they do expect you to to deliver what you said you're going to. Um, I think the logo thing is interesting. It depends, again, on their agenda. Some big funders are wanting your, you to acknowledge their grant so that it publicly or politically there is visibility as to what they're doing and, and they can associate themselves with good work and good projects. And that then helps them to demonstrate where their money's going to justify their existence often. That can be the way that it's it's working. Um, I mean, with the lottery, it was it's often about saying saying thanks to lottery players. And I suppose, regardless of what what you think about that, um, I mean, I think one thing I was maybe going to touch on was just the impact of the lottery. Not that I'm still <laughs> championing the cause, but I think we probably don't quite realise the impact of. I think it's about forty billion that the lottery's invested in community, cultural, heritage, sports projects um, since I think it's about 94. So, I mean, I can't quite imagine what the cultural sector, would, the creative sector would look like without without that investment now. Um, so, yeah, I mean, they've all they've all got their different their different reasons. Um, I would always say communication with your funders is absolutely key. They want to be kept in touch. Most of them are I found to be really pragmatic if changes you need to make changes or you've got a different approach or a way of doing things. Um, but yeah, if you as, as long as you know at the outset what's expected of you and you sign up to that knowing that you can do it, then it shouldn't be shouldn't be too difficult. <laughs> <laughs> well <laughs> it nobody's it's never easy, I have to say. But yeah. <laughs> okay. Um Obviously, you mentioned before your most recent role um, mm -hmm. in Creative Dundee, but what what made you apply for the for the position? Yeah, well, um, obviously, I delivered what I'd set out to do at Collective and stayed on for another six, seven months, really, to see it, see it opened. Um, and I started to think about what next. And I was being approached by a few different people to have conversations. And one option was to immediately go back in and do another major capital project and I just wasn't sure whether that was something that I wanted to do. <laughs> I think I felt I'd had no home life really and uh, wasn't really so keen. And I also felt that, yeah, there was part of me that almost worried that I'd, where, where would I go next? You know, I'd, I'd delivered this project that um, had been really exciting and, and and ticked all the boxes for me and and what would live up to that um and that maybe I might need to break 
think about doing that maybe again in the future. But um, so I started thinking about what the other options were. And it was it was a very internally focused role that I'd had before, very much focused on delivering a project on one in one in one site and uh, being very focused on that organisation. And whilst there were lots of stakeholders, wasn't the opportunity to to work externally in my role particularly, um, or to really stick your head above the parapet. And uh, so I was I was keen to potentially go back to a support um, agency organisation. I'm on the board of SCAN, the Scottish Contemporary Art Network. It's a support organisation. I enjoy very much working with them um, and finding out about what's happening in the sector. And and I felt that I have a lot of, I suppose, insight insight and knowledge that um, could be shared with other people and not just maybe utilised for one other organisation, but actually could be shared. So I, I was looking around for what the opportunities were, really in no hurry to make the leap. And then the op- I saw the opportunity at Creative Dundee and it just looked like such a lovely role. Um, something that I was I knew that I was going to be able to use my skills um, in a city that, you know, it, there's no denying everybody, this is Dundee's where it's at, you know, everybody has that that view and is really excited about Dundee both within and out, out with as to what's what's happening and what the opportunities are here and it felt it just felt like a really good move a really positive move to be in a city that has a can-do attitude that things are happening that culture and creativity are absolutely at the heart of what's happening here um and that I, I could have a role in an organization that um, you know, I was I was very much aware of and that can can have impact and can make a difference, um, which I think is is important for a next step. Um, so that's that was really what what drove me to Creative Dundee. <laughs> and so you're now five weeks five weeks into a year long. Yes, yes. So how? What are the what are your first impressions of, of being in, in the role and in the city? Um, well, first impressions are it, it feels really war- warm and fuzzy, <laughs> I have to say. Um, it's amazing the amount of people that reached out to me before I arrived um, on social media and emailed to either set up meetings or to welcome me. And that was lovely. It was a really lovely way to start. Um, the organisations welcomed me. Um, in a fantastic way and that's been great and yeah as have other people within the city I feel that um you know people are in touch and they're wanting to meet and they're you know looking at developing opportunities and and it's yeah it's it's really great to to have that um welcome and that that um know that that that's the future that you're um wanted (laughs) and that uh yeah that people are are wanting to work with you and that wanting to, to do really exciting things. And so, I mean, obviously, it was a, a year long contract initially. Yeah. Um, so, what? I mean, I suppose, what are you looking to do? What are you looking to try and achieve in that? I mean, it's a relatively short space of time. It is a relatively short space of time, and there is a lot of work already programmed. So, keeping the plate spinning first and foremost. Um, and yeah, secondly, 
get involved in some of these projects, um, which are really interesting. Um, in particular, um, the project that we're working on between, as part of the Japan and Scotland project, um, is really interesting. So I'm looking forward to seeing how that develops. Um, can't wait for the first pitch, Kucha. Um, so far, I've only experienced it via the live link, and so I just can't wait to be in the room. So, extremely excited about that. So, do you have to do you have to present Petra Kutcher? Well, um, Sam's put in a bid for that, no. so uh, <laughs> <laughs> that appears to have already been agreed. So, um, yeah, well, <laughs> so he's he's going to take that role this time. So maybe I'll do next time. Um, yeah. So, so pitch kitchen I'm really looking forward to. And then I guess just seeing what other opportunities come up. So um, I think there are potentially opportunities around um, economic sustainability, around property and spaces and how um, creative the creative industries are, are working in spaces and what's available and how those develop. And there are some really interesting building projects around the city. Um my old architects are already in, I've already been in touch um, about a potential project um, looking at architecture and design so that's something that's really good um, and I mean there are there are yeah there are there are lots of different things I think there are opportunities for us to do more and consider more around equalities um, so that's a really important area um, yeah so I mean it's it's it, it, it is just five weeks. I don't have a definite master plan as yet, but I've definitely got some ideas. And yeah, I'm just ensuring that the, the projects that are already on the table are fully established and and getting those getting those going. So yeah, I feel really positive about the opportunities that are are, are ahead. And as you say, it is a year and it'll go fast. Um, but it'll be interesting to see what, what can come of that year and, and what happens after. Um, yeah. Because yeah, I mean, th th um, as an organisation, Creative Dundee's gone through through massive change, sort of um, fifty percent turnover, and what the team yeah. actually looks like um, in such a short short space of time. Um, and I think also in just in its very nature of being a a small organisation that is sort of growing and developing um, over time, you see these. The, I don't want to call them trends, but just. Um, so areas that they're specifically focusing on and looking at. So as you mentioned, like things like equality and sort of um, looking at inclusion and things like that. It, it's it's really nice to see that, that Creative Dundee expanded in all these different areas mm -hmm. and trying to bring it all together. But I just kind of wanted to ask what what you see as the sort of core role. So what 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 is Creative Dundee? What should it be for for the city? Um, I think it's there. It's a bit of a linchpin. It's it's there to support and promote um, the city and the creative industry sector. And I think, yes, there are lots of cross-sector opportunities and it'll be really important and interesting to pursue those. But it, at its heart, creative industries is is the focus, I think, for Creative Dundee. Um, I think we're in a position where we can make make things happen, we can provide introductions, we can provide support, um, we can provide development opportunities. You know, we're here, we're available. Um, yeah, I mean, I think the opportunities are, are endless, really. 
Um, but yeah, just to, I suppose just to continue to to play that role of of supporting and and networking and growing that community as well um, across the whole um, sector of creative industries is um, yeah. I think yeah. I mean, I I think it's so important, and as you say, that Dundee has this like this feel about it, especially like um, obviously with what's happened in the last sort of six months to a year, and that sort of spotlight and media attention and everything building towards um, this excitement around mm. it, and it feels like that the, there is that external facing um, thing, but then within within the creative community, we're still very sort of small mm-hmm. and fragile almost and it's like that, that this is not the finished thing this is not the the be all and end all we're not doing everything right there are so many different problems and issues that we need to try and address like like strengthening that community and growing that and, and growing that out with just the city center and retaining more talent in the city and it's it is a big thing where you've got mm-hmm. externally everyone shouting about it and saying it's great but actually on the ground and, and every day there's there's so much that, that still needs to be done and still needs to be constantly worked on mm-hmm. um to actually t- to help grow and, and continue to move forward yeah absolutely um i mean the, the vna has been a really positive thing for the city but um there's a danger some could be left behind or there's then a fatigue after this of people thinking well dundee's got that it's sorted it doesn't need anything more or how do you capitalize on that moment how do you turn that interest, that cultural tourism interest, say, into supporting creative industries. How do we keep people here and how to how do we develop and provide them with opportunities to sustain what they're doing here as well is really important. Yeah, and like attracting more creative talent and, and yeah. people to the city, I think. Mm-hmm. That's also really important. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. So um, so looking to the, the future, just before we, we wrap up, um, what excites you? Um, it might be a big thing, it might be a tiny thing. What excites you about the future? Work-related or just anything? anything? <laughs> um, I'm, I'm excited about being in a role in a vibrant, exciting city that um, there are opportunities yet to come that I don't know what they are yet. And I think that's that's exciting. Um, personally, um, I've, I've relocated. I'm not... Um, I'm living in Creole. We drew a, a, a circle of 30 miles around Dundee and this is where we've ended up. Um, but I'm, you know, I'm taking this year to have a whole life adventure, really. And I'm really excited about that. I'm excited waking up every morning and being at the seaside and um, really enjoying coming in to Dundee. And um, being here is just fantastic. It's, uh, yeah, I feel really um pumped up coming over the the day bridge and i'm here and i'm really enjoying it and excited for it um yeah i think yeah just everything is is positive um it's all good yeah um so is there anything that you've been reading watching listening to recently that you would recommend recommend i don't know about recommending (laughs) um yeah, I'm a bit of a popular culture junkie. I, I, I think having spent so much time so absorbed in work, it's been all-consuming. When I get out of work, I kind of find myself, yeah, just trying to switch off and absorbing as, as much nonsense as possible. 
Um, but then I'm assuming like that's the same for a, a lot of people. I ask this question and people think, oh, I need to think of something really amazing and profound and yeah. like creative. And, yeah. But actually people love trash TV as much as they love like, yeah, an amazing novel or whatever else. Yeah. Like it's just. Yeah. Shameful secret of, yes, I love RuPaul's Drag Race and yeah, I <laughs> dabbled in Love Island and all sorts. But yeah, lots of Netflix boxes and various things and then just started watching for the first time The Wire so I'm really enjoying that that's it just feels really different than what I've been watching on Netflix and kind of missed that first time around but really enjoying that so yeah um recommendations of other things <laughs> um I'm not I, I kind of got out of the habit of reading as, as a kid I was one of these children that would take a book to bed and take it to the dinner table and um, never stop reading and I've kind of got out of the habit of that and I'm looking forward to get back in, getting back into that and um, um, the, the, the last book that I was reading that I've stopped halfway through which I'm ashamed to say was um, Chris Krause, I Love Dick so um, I'm looking forward to getting back into that because I know there's an ending that is quite interesting so um and the other thing i'm currently reading which is not a recommendation um although it's for some is the highway code <laughs> <laughs> um so yeah i would recommend that if you're about to sit your theory test but i am relearning to drive after 27 years of not driving so i passed my driving test this you can do all the maths now passed my driving test at 18 and have never driven since so i'm now relearning to drive and that I mean I don't think I've ever met anyone who's had that big a gap and that's I had one lesson with a driving instructor and that's what he said the biggest gap before me he said was 10 years so I've smashed that hands down I don't know if that's a good thing or not but um yeah living in Creel of course has meant I've I need transport but what so what's led to the, the gap um what led to the gap was I learned in my father's big car one car family big father's car and then went a strip I actually passed my test the day before Freshers Week started in St Andrews and then obviously wasn't around to drive worked most summers Christmases and Easter's um so didn't didn't get to borrow dad's car and then moved to Edinburgh where a lot of people don't have a car and just fell out of the way of it and then it became a bit of a thing that, yeah. So um, it's been interesting. I'm getting there. Um, you don't. I mean, obviously, you don't need to read the highway code, but it has. Yeah, I've realised I need to brush up on that. So <laughs> you probably could all do with that, right? Because when it, it would have been since I was like seventeen that I haven't read the highway code in yeah a long time. Yeah. So. Well, when I sat my test, you got shown about. You got asked about four questions at the end of your test. There was no theory test. You got asked about stopping distances, maybe showing a, a picture of a humpback bridge, and <laughs> you know there were there were. It wasn't an intensive theory experience. You had to know it all, but um, it wasn't the way it is now. So, yeah. So that's quite a personal challenge and quite a personal triumph. Hopefully. Yeah. Well, good so, luck with that. Thanks. <laughs> um, so, if anyone wants to to find you or online mm -hmm. or get in touch um, how do they do that 
Um, well, I'm on Creative Dundee's website, so email me there. Um, I'm not that active on Twitter at the moment, but intend to start back on that. And I'm Laurie V. Anderson um, Twitter. And yeah, that's probably the best way to get, get in touch with me. Okay, great. Thanks very much. Great. Thank you. So that was episode 89. Thank you to Laurie for coming on and letting me put her on the spot. Um, yeah, having been very uh, shortly in the door at Creative Dundee. Um, yeah, but I'm excited to see what um, she achieves in her time there and also um, uh, the rest of the team as well. Um, yeah, and that sort of concludes our three-week Creative Dundee extravaganza special thing. Um yeah, so thanks to the whole Creative Dundee team who are really up for, for doing that um, and all sharing their stories. Um, hopefully it gave you a nice insight into who they are and what they do and where they've been. Um, yeah, and actually this is now the end of this block of recordings. So um, it'll be a few weeks until the next next batch come out i'm going to go and do a few more recordings um and release hopefully a bunch more uh, before the end of the year so thank you all for listening um and as always um especially now um as we don't have one coming out next week uh the best way to keep up to date is um on twitter or instagram at ccc dundee um, or you can go to Facebook and it's facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash CCC Dundee. Um, or you can find us on Spotify, iTunes, all good podcasting platforms. Um, but yeah, until until next time, until I get some more recordings done and then released. Bye.